You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a bit scary coming to preach on the back of a nine, um, so don't hold your expectations very high, please. It's uh, a real honor and a privilege to open the Word of God this morning, Um, and it's so exciting to be back home for Christmas. Who's excited that is Christmas Day? Yes, yes. Um, I see the least enthusiastic were the mums, the ones that have been up since five, getting the turkeys ready. I know that's what it looked like in my house. Who is excited? Adults here, who's excited for your nap after dinner? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not that old yet, but I'm ready for a, a Christmas nap already. I think just about uh, when the Queen's speech comes on. So, <laughs> as I said, uh, it's really exciting and a privilege to open the Word of God. And uh, like I said, it's my first Christmas back home since I've been in Singapore. My, my last Christmas, I was away from home. And Christmas in Asia, in Southeast Asia, looks very, very different. Uh, firstly, it's consistently above 27 degrees. So, yeah, forget a Christmas jumper and forget chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I was in my shorts and my flip-flops like, what on earth is going on? Um, so it's so, so lovely to be home. Some of you that hate the cold, anyone hate the cold? A few of you, Scrooges is fine. Um, I love the cold, so it's lovely to be able to put on a jumper again. Um, So with time being short today, I want to dive straight into my message this morning. And my whole heart of this morning in the short time that I have is just to focus our attention on the birthday boy. To focus our attention on the one that this is all about and say, Jesus, we have come this morning to worship you. Jesus, we know that this season is all about you, and despite how conflicted and confused the world might seem to make it, and despite the fact that the whole world, the whole of England seems to be having a party, we often forget who this is all about. And so this morning, I want to focus our attention. I've entitled my message, The True Worship. True Worship. I want us to understand that we are called, not just at Christmas, but at all times, in every day of our lives, to worship Jesus, to worship the King and establish, why have I called it true worship? Because I want us to understand that we are truly called to not get lost in what the world would make Christmas to be. We are not called to be lost in a false worship of of celebration and then miss the whole point of this season. We are called to embrace all that God has done in this season, to, to embrace the fact that God came down and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. And so with that, I want us to ask the question, what does true worship look like? What does this true worship look like? And worship can mean many, many things. And uh, a definition I got from Webster's Dictionary, I love it. It says this, worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And there are many expressions of worship. We can mean worship when we literally sing a worship song, when we sing praise to God. Worship can be our giving and our substance. Worship is the way that we live our lives. Romans 12, 2 tells us that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. And so I want us to have this in mind when I look at worship, not so much about singing, 
but this whole all-encompassing aspect of worship that is about a posture and an attitude. And so with that, I want us to turn for the text of today, which is a very, very famous Christmas passage, uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. And it's going to be on the screen, um, so you can follow along with me as I read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, I by, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And now quickly, I just want to give us the context of this, because many of us will be like, I've heard this a million times. But hopefully I'll give you a fresh perspective this morning and so, what is this account we're reading? So, this account in Matthew 2, um, it f- follows the passage that talks about the birth of Jesus. But it can be a little bit confusing. Sometimes it happens in the Bible where we read a passage and we think, oh, maybe five minutes has passed. But actually, what we're reading in, in, in Matthew 2, most scholars agree, is at least a year after the birth of Jesus. And so, we can establish that Jesus is over one year old and at least under two years old. So we also, we find Jesus no longer a newborn baby, over a year old, and sorry, I'm going to wreck the nativity scene in this moment. He is no longer in a stable. We read in verse 11, all translations, we read on coming to the house. So we read that Jesus is no longer a baby. He's about a year and a half old, and here he is in a house. Thankfully, Joseph did a great job of being dad. They didn't live in a stable for a year. That was just a temporary place that Jesus was born. So they're still in Bethlehem, but they're out of the stable. So if you've got your nativity at home, you don't have to change it, but I'm just letting you know. So this is the context of the passage. So we've got the scene, but what of our characters? What do we know of Herod? So this is Herod the Great. And he is king of Judea, which is home of the Jewish people. In Judea is Jerusalem. And it is home of the Jewish people. Now, Herod, long story short, he's not a great king, to be honest. You know, he's, he was king of the Jews, but he was only half Jewish himself. And so that meant that he had a bit of 
disagreements with the Jewish people at times because his rule had been instated by the Romans who occupied those lands. So he was put in charge by the Romans, not even his own people. So he often did things that caused some trouble. And um, we even see there's a story told that upon Herod's death, he was so disliked by the people that he'd ordered the deaths of some Jewish officials. So that upon his death, these officials would be murdered and there would be mourning. And people would think that everyone's mourning for Herod when they're really not. Thankfully, that didn't happen. They just ignored him, let him die. But it shows that his reign, he, he was not comfortable. There was a tension. He was paranoid. He was paranoid. But even still, he was king of the Jews and his holy book was the Tanakh. What we know is the Old Testament, but rejiggled a little bit. And at the heart of the Tanakh, at the heart of the Jewish faith, the king of the Jews is the belief of the Messiah. And this is important for us to have in our minds as I carry on. So we have the setting, we have Herod, and then we have the Magi. What do we know of the Magi? Now the term Magi is rooted in the Greek magos. And this refers to a magician or a sorcerer or one wise in interpreting the stars. So we can see why it is translated sometimes as wise men. Another ruin on your nativity scene, I'm afraid, despite what people think, the text says nothing of how many wise men there were. We know that there are three gifts, but we are never told that there are three magi. So if you've got two, if you've lost a little magi on your nativity scene, fine. It's, it's still pretty biblical. It's okay. <laughs> we're not sure. Now, I'll tell us a little bit more about them later and help us understand how they were a lot more important than people think. But first, I want us to see the contrast here. We see a man in King Herod who is king of the Jewish people, the one who we suspect as responding properly to Jesus. And then we see a bunch of foreign pagans who have no reason to anticipate the king. They are not Israelites. This is not their land. But we see a stark difference in their response to Jesus. One response from the Magi is genuine, true worship. And the other from Herod, the one we would expect the appropriate response is prideful, it is self-serving, and it is false. And today I want to zoom in on the response of the Magi and ask the question, what does true worship look like? From these guys, what does true worship look like so that we can assess our heart and say, where do I stand on this line? Do I stand like Herod and serve myself this Christmas? Or do I come like the Magi and say, Jesus, it is all about you? So firstly, true worship embraces the truth. True worship embraces the truth. We read in verse 2, the Magi, they rock up to Jerusalem. They come straight away, no messing around. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We see in this sentence, they simply state who he is, and because of that, they've come to worship him. They simply say, we have come to worship the king of the Jews, not because of what he can do for us, not because of anything that has been done, simply because of who he is. And now this is important for us to establish because true worship is not because of how we feel in a moment or because of what can be done or because we can gain something from this interaction, but simply because of who Jesus is. And that is true worship. 
This Christmas, you might have come and you feel like you're fulfilling a sense of duty and, and great that you're in this place. But true worship isn't met by coming to church on Christmas Day and, and fulfilling a tradition or a duty, but true worship is coming and saying, Jesus, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to worship you. And for some of us, that might make us feel uncomfortable this Christmas because it can be the only time we come out. And like I said, it's so great if you're here, but let me tell you, we can embrace the truth of Jesus and there is so much more of him to be had. He is not just something that has to come out at Christmas. He's not someone to be worshipped as a tradition or as a good teacher, but he is far, far more. When the Magi came to Jerusalem seeking the king of Jews, they most likely had in mind a future political leader. They had come from the east, another kingdom. They had come to honor a future political leader. Much to Herod's dismay, like I said, he was paranoid. So when he comes, no wonder the text tells us that Herod and the people of Israel, they were disturbed at this. They were disturbed because the Magi had come. We've come to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, that's me. I'm the king of the Jews. But they saw a greater truth. They saw beyond that. And yet we see Herod goes even further. He knows what the Magi are talking about. We read in verse 4, he asks the chief priests and teachers of the law, he says, where is not the king of the Jews, but the Messiah? Where is the Messiah to be born? Which is outrightly stating and making the jump. He goes one step further, in fact, than the Magi. Herod had been called king of the Jews by the Senate in Rome for almost 40 years before this point. But no one had ever, ever called him the Messiah. The Jewish people were expectant and waiting for a Messiah, but no one had ever called Herod the Messiah. Messiah means the long-awaited, God-anointed ruler who would have stabbed the everlasting kingdom of God. That's what the Messiah means, someone that, whose rule and reign will never come to an end. You see the disparity here between the two responses. We see Herod acknowledge as Messiah, but he is so far from embracing the truth. Church it is not just enough to acknowledge him as the Messiah this Christmas, and yet stand at a distance doing nothing about it. In our acknowledgement of who Jesus is, the only appropriate and rightful response is to worship him. It breaks my heart to see people standing at a distance, especially in a place where we sing so much of the greatness of God around Christmas. We sing so many wonderful carols that, that glorify God, and yet we stand at a distance and do not embrace the truth for ourselves. True worship means that we don't just acknowledge the truth, but we embrace it. We run towards it with everything that we have. Jesus, even in this passage, even as a baby, he is presented as king in verse 1, Messiah in verse 4, ruler verse 6, and shepherd. As a baby, Jesus is presented as this, and yet we know, and we sit here today, and I can tell you, he is so much more even. Today, you need to make a decision to embrace him in your worship. True worship embraces the truth, and secondly, true worship, my favorite picture coming up, is joyful. Verse 10, we read, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, Pastor Esther, she uh, spoke a little bit about this last week, 
I was scared because I was like, she's going to steal my thunder, but it's okay. It's okay. But what she said was the word overjoyed here, there's actually four Greek words that this connotes. And now the ESV, it actually does this justice. It says this, the English Standard Version says, when they saw the star, catch this, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The type of joy that is described here does not look ordinary. I can't imagine Matthew detailing this in such a way that this joy was not manifest. Now, I don't know about you, but kids, who's excited this morning? Who, who came down and got their presents this morning? And when you got your presents, what did you do? Did you do a little dance? No, you didn't do a little dance. I don't know about you, but when I think of this, a perfect example is kids on Christmas morning. Or adults too, but it's fine. Kids on Christmas morning responding so joy. Oh, Santa's been. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know what that looks like with some Persian men, but man, they must have picked up their robes, did a little dance. I can't even imagine an Irish jig. You can tell I'm not a dancer. Come on, Lord, please. (laughs) But this is what true worship looks like. True worship is joyful. True worship is joyful. Worship, regardless of situation, carries a posture of joy. Joy to the world, the Savior's come. Joy to the world. The joy of the, of the Lord will manifest physically. When we come near to the king, something bubbles up in his sons and daughters that were once far off. Something bubbles up. I've been away for a long time from my brother. My brother is the one, you saw him, you won't believe it. He's the one with the spider, Tobias. He's my little brother. And um, when I got home, he said to me after a few days at home, he said, Luke, why did you keep kissing me? And I'm like, oh, sorry, didn't think you'd notice. But there's just something. I've been away from him for so long, and I can't help but respond and, and just kiss him because I'm with him, and I can see him, and I, I'm in his presence, and I'm with him. Now, let me tell you, he annoys me too, but it's fine. I don't think he heard that. He's not concentrating, so it's fine. But with Jesus, it's not like that. King David, he writes in Psalm 16, you have shown to me the path of life, and there is fullness of joy in your presence. And true worship is joyful. True worship is joyful because we come and we know regardless of my situation, regardless of what my past Christmas have looked like, regardless of what has happened in seasons gone by, I know that there is a hope and a peace and a love that is to be had in Jesus Christ. And that is why there is joy this Christmas. Not because of the presents, not because you get time off work and there's football on Boxing Day, which is wonderful, but because of our wonderful King Jesus. Because of our wonderful King Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's give him praise. True worship embraces the truth, is joyful, and thirdly, true worship is humbly adoring. True worship is humbly adoring. We read in verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, the Magi, we don't really know a whole lot about them, but we do know, scholars do know that these men, they held power and they held sway. They were mysterious, they were knowledgeable and wealthy, 
and yet they come into the presence of Jesus, even as a baby. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but like he's one and a half. I can imagine like, one and a, you can't keep a one and a half year old's attention for long, but they come into this presence of Jesus, even as a baby, and their only response is to bow down and worship him. Because true worship is humbly adoring. They disregarded their status. They disregarded the fact that this isn't our king in our territory. And they said, I will worship you, Jesus. We will worship you, Jesus. Scholars make us understand that these were revered in their communities. The reason that they're often sometimes called the three wise king, no, the three kings, what are they called? The three kings of Orientine, three wise men, but three kings is because, in fact, part of their status and their role in Persia or Babylon would have been as kingmakers. Because of their knowledge, their understanding of the stars, because of the pagan religion that they followed, these men held serious sway in court. They have been honored and respected in their communities. People who have looked to them, kings would look to them. And yet they come into the presence of Jesus and they bow before him. Fall into the ground is what you do when you say, you are high and I am low. This is a posture, not merely just an act. Is your response appropriate towards the Messiah this morning? Or will you preserve pride and your own glory like Herod? He was too scared to worship this Messiah because he valued far more what he had on earth and what he had built and established here because he didn't understand the eternal riches and the glorious riches that were in Christ. He preserved his pride. He could not push past himself. How can we exalt Christ if we, like Herod, are only thinking about ourselves this Christmas? How can we expect to worship him when our minds are consumed by our circumstance? Now, I don't do this to lessen what some of you might be going through. There's a, a lot of people in this room and there can be many situations and you can be going through a horrendous time and, and, and the world would say, yeah, just focus on yourself. But, but the word of God tells us that when we look outside of ourselves, when we appropriately respond to Jesus. There is an exchange that takes place where he says, you don't have to be in despair in this moment. Humble yourself before me and I will replace that with a peace. Humble yourself before me and push past your own feelings and I will give you that significance, that acceptance, that security that you've so been longing for and searching for in the world. Herod, he clung to it because of his pride, but today if you let it go, and say, Lord, I will truly worship you. I will humbly adore you. It can mean different things to humbly adore God, even in this setting. For some, it might mean physically bound before God. If you've never done that, if you've worshipped Jesus for some time, then there is a liberty in doing so, saying, Jesus, you are so worthy. I, I can't even stand in your presence. It might even mean for some of us raising our hands. For some, you are so consumed by others might think for a long time in church I was but when I realized just how awesome Jesus is and how insignificant I am I was just like Jesus you've chosen me you love me I, I can't help but praise you I don't care if I look like a fool I'll be like King David and dance before you that's what it means it could be a mentality or an attitude that needs to be confessed before the Lord 
I don't know, I, I could go through many things. Pride is a funny thing, but let us know this morning that true worship is humbly adoring. We cannot stand and think we know everything about Christ, everything about Christmas, and not humble ourselves before him and say, you are the creator of it all. You are before all things, and in all, thi- in thi- all things you were made. We, ca- we cannot stand prideful before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. True worship embraces the truth, is joyful, it is humbly adoring, and finally, it is sacrificial. Now for this, I want to zoom in on the, the journey and the gifts. Now you see the journey, we understand that the Magi, all we know about them is that the text tells us they were from the east. So scholars agree, this is Persia, Babylon, the desert regions east of Palestine. And the estimated distance is at least a thousand miles away from Jerusalem and a little bit further even to Bethlehem. Estimated days to travel that back in the day was about 30 days. Now that is far. That is proclaimer's territory, man. Like 500 miles, five, what is it? I would walk 500. Anyway, it's far. It is far. I did a little Google search last night. And that distance is like walking to Edinburgh, coming back again, and then going back to Edinburgh. That means you'd be stuck in Edinburgh. I don't know why you'd do that, but that is the... Sorry if you're from Edinburgh, I'm joking. This journey was far. They didn't have cars. They didn't have Uber. They didn't have bikes even. They would have traveled on foot and with their camels... Not only this, but the journey was dangerous. The Near East, the ancient Near East, isn't like England, where the most dangerous thing is a cat. There are wild animals there. And they would have had to make this long, hard journey. This would have also come at a cost. The train here is expensive to go like two hours. To travel for 30 days with your supplies and and enough to get all of you there, including your, your camels and all the gifts you're carrying and all these sorts of things, it would have been expensive. There is a sacrifice in this. There is a cost to this. The gifts. Although there is a meaning linked to the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I think it is more proper in this moment to take the gifts at face value. And see, they are expensive items that would have come at some cost to the Magi. They indicate esteem, revere, and honor paid to the king. The Magi understood that true worship is worship with more than just words. And it often, in fact, I've found always costs us something. When we worship God sacrificially through our time, our substance, or even praising him when it hurts... That is true worship. That is true worship, and that is what is appropriate. In fact, the only appropriate response to Jesus this Christmas. They weren't just driving on through and thought they'd pop in. They didn't just pop a Christmas card through the post. They were deliberate, and they were prepared to give something at cost. True worship says, you, oh Jesus, are my treasure, not these things. God, I will give you my best. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. 
anything that I give, any distance I go, this is a prayer I've prayed, I go as a bargain for what it costs you to come down as a baby, grow up to be a man, and die and bear my sin and shame on that cross. Anything, anything you ask of me, God, I will do because my life is a living sacrifice of you. As I draw to a close, I'd like to invite the band up. And I'm, thank you, children, for sitting in and for paying such close attention. You've been awesome. And this morning, I'd ummed and ahed about what I'd do and what my focus would be. But my heart is that we would just be in awe again at Jesus. And we would be drawn again to true worship. That this morning our Christmas might look a little differently to the world because we know and have established that it is about our worship of the King. And like the Magi approaching Jesus as a child, we are not approaching Him as a child. We are approaching one who has been raised to the right hand of the Father. Your mediator who grew up from a child to a man who being fully God and fully man bore our sin and shame on a cross that we might have life today and be reconciled to the Father. For all eternity, we will sing our praises because he has done something that we never could. The one who is sinless and blameless and holy, the one who is pure and lovely, he died the most horrific death. He came to earth And he bore it all so that we this Christmas might have an appropriate response to him and say, Jesus, I choose to worship you today. Jesus, I will not be like Herod. I won't stand from afar and acknowledge the truth and yet not run to it. Jesus, I embrace the truth today. Jesus, I know that true worship is joyful because there is joy in your presence. I know that there is an eternity where I will spend with you. We can say today and make our hearts cry today, Jesus, I am willing to make any sacrifice for you. I am willing to worship you with my entire life, with my substance and my time because it is a bargain to what you have paid for me. And we can say, Lord, I do not preserve my pride in this place because I choose to humbly adore you with everything I am. You are high and I am low. I am unworthy, but you are worthy, Lord. And I wonder if I could invite us to stand to our feet all across this place. That is what we are positioned with this morning, church, this Christmas. Whether we will embrace the true worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords or whether we will stand at a distance and pass another Christmas without embracing the truth of who he is. For some of you today, you may not have known this Jesus. You may not have heard about the Jesus in this way. And if you want to hear more about this truth, then I encourage you at the end of this service, if you want to speak to myself or someone on the front row here, we can just share with you more about this wonderful Jesus. He wants a personal relationship with you. And for those of us that are Christians in this room, that have journeyed some time with God, I just want to bring us to a place 
where we assess our hearts and ask God, where am I not truly worshiping you in this moment? And then I'm going to pray and the worship team will lead us. So why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes as I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we ask in this moment that you would send your Holy Spirit to search every heart. Jesus, we say we are sorry where we have been confused and we have become conceited with the true meaning of Christmas. Father, we we say we are sorry where we have been so caught up in the celebrations and visitations that, that we have forgot to acknowledge that this season is about worshiping you and lifting you high for your glory. Jesus, today, we choose to embrace your truth. We step into your joy. Lord, we knock down our pride and we say we love you, God. We love you. We adore you, Lord. We say, Lord, let our lives be holy and pleasing unto you. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 